0: Take your Bibles and open up to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to pray and then read, and then I'm going to pray again, and you're going to pray again, and then we're all going to pray, and then we're going to pray some more, and then I'm going to preach, and then I'm going to pray and preach at the same time. Here's the reason we're going to pray so much, is today we're talking about marriage as a biblical perspective. Everybody wants to be a preacher until we're preaching about this kind of stuff. So I'm going to pray, Father, in Jesus' name, would you in Jesus' name bless us. Would you give us confidence and assurance, Lord? Would you give us direction and peace? Lord, would you be glorified and honored? And would we be equipped for every good work? Every man here, every woman here. We're going to talk about marriage today. Husbands and wives. The order of the family. And I pray God that you would give us attentive ears. Those who are married would lean in and listen and learn. Lord, those who plan on getting married one day would listen and lean in and learn. Lord, those who know somebody who is married and want to pray for them or help them, would they lean in and listen and learn? And Holy Spirit, would you equip us again to be the bride of Christ? We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Verse seven, husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. And Lord, again, we pray that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Peter is writing his epistle to the church in modern-day Turkey, Bithynia and Pamphylia and Phrygia and these other churches that were scattered and dispersed, displaced. He originally called them elect pilgrims. He said, you guys are chosen, you're the church, but this is too legit to quit, but you're also pilgrims. You're not where you're supposed to be. You're going somewhere else. You're here on purpose and it's not getting any easier. Chapter one, he talked about the persecution and the suffering and how God was in that and God was using that. First Peter's entire The epistle is directed toward a church that was suffering great persecution and difficulty. As a matter of fact, there's five chapters in the book of 1 Peter, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, three being the center, the heart of the letter, talking about suffering, which makes sense that now Peter addresses marriage. (laughs) Have you ever been married before? Have you guys done this before? You moan and groan because you know that it's true. Marriage can be the closest thing to heaven on earth. Can it not? It can just be so good. And it can also be the closest thing to heaven not on earth. heavens I mean, marriage is a design from God. It's his entity. It's his organization. It's his creation. He gave it to us there in Genesis 2. Before Genesis 3 where the world fell into sin and disarray, it's part of his design. It's perfect. It's his creation. It's his gift. And yet you who've been married, you who are married, you know that while marriage is right, okay, marriage isn't easy. okay. Marriage is awesome, but marriage is also very difficult. And uh, I remember one time I heard a pastor use an illustration at a wedding, which I promised myself I would never use at a wedding. And so this isn't a wedding, so I'm going to tell you guys the illustration. And he said, within a marriage, there are three rings. There is the engagement ring and then there's the wedding ring, and then there's suffering. (laughs) And I say, I'm never gonna say that at a wedding, you know? Wow. And you laugh because it's true. And I really wanted to teach this section last week. Last week, we had a bunch of stuff. We installed Pastor Tobias Cook. He's driving from Ben today to come over here this afternoon. He's still wrapping things up. And not only did we install Pastor Tobias, but we talked about the government. You know, we, we talked a little bit about that, and, and then we talked about prayer and fasting. And I had three main things I covered. I actually had my notes prepared to also talk about marriage. And I wanted to have four sermons all in one day, but you guys just couldn't handle it. So I backed off. And the reason I really wanted to talk about this last week, because last week was January twenty. 4th, 2021, which was a 20-year anniversary from my wife and I's first date. We had our very first date on January 24th, 2001, at Geppetto's there in Ashland, Oregon, after a Wednesday night Bible study. And I just said, hey, would you come have some pie with me? And we weren't doing anything. We're just kind of being together in life doing, you know, young adult Bible studies. And, and I brought her to this place, and I just exposed my heart to her and said, I've been praying for you for four months. If it's God's will, if it's okay that I, that I like you, I, I do like you, but I don't want to like you, unless he wants me to like you, and I'll like you, but he I, and they, I, is it okay to like you, and I like you, and I, I'm just a man sweating, and uh, I had this, this sweater I'd gotten from Peru. It was made of llama hair, and it had llamas running across it, and my beard was long hair. I had long hair, looked like Osama bin Laden. I mean, it was just weird. And I remember I prayed, and, it was, and I, or I didn't pray, but I put, just put my heart on the table, and, and she responded, she looked at me, and she said, well, I've been praying for you for the last seven months, and asking God if it's okay to, to like you, and I, I am attracted to you as well. And so we both just stared at each other, you know, and scared out of our minds, and, <laughs> and so we prayed, Lord, thy will be done, and for the next 21 days, we dated and prayed every single day, morning and night, and she would come to the coffee house I was running, and we would pray, Lord, is this, your is this your will? Is this your will? Is this your will? And 21 days later, I was in Honduras with Crystal. She was on this mission trip and it was Valentine's Day. And the Lord reminded me that in Daniel chapter nine, he prayed as well. And then 21 days later, the Lord confirmed the prayer and gave him the word. And so I had permission from her mom and from uh, people that I submitted to. And I asked her to marry me on Valentine's day. So guys, that's 15 days away. So get your stuff in order. It's coming up Valentine's day. And I just, (laughs) man, I wanted to teach on it because once we got engaged, we got married four months later and for the last 20 years. Now we're having our 20 year anniversary this year in June. and, And for the last 20 years, it has been so blissful. Wait. My notes say blistering. Blistering. Not bl- <laughs> blissful. I'm just kidding. You know, it's a little. You know, where's my wife at? Is she even here? She in the bathroom. Man, she was singing this morning, and I'll tell you what, man. My wife and I have the exact opposite personality. We actually took this personality test on the way to Fiji one time. We were doing a Luis Palau mission and they did a 10 hour training session at LAX in order to prepare us for the mission field. They gave us minimal bathroom breaks, minimal food in order to prepare us to live in the jungle under duress. It was actually kind of psychological confusion. But anyways, we did this uh, test to identify our personality traits and I came out like as a lion, is what they identified me as, you know, duh. And uh, then they they identified her as uh, an otter. I think there was like a Labrador retriever, an otter and some other thing. and anyways, the guy was talking about it, and he said, by, by the way, these two, it was her and I, are the least compatible of all people to be together, you know? And we're like, yeah, woo, amen, you know? And that explains it, that explains it. I remember when we got engaged at the Ashton Christian Fellowship, and people were so excited. She was 19 going on 30, and I was 23 going on 12, you know? And... I mean, it was bad. And this one lady, she came up, she was excited. She's smiling. I remember she's like, Oh, I'm going to pray for you because you're going to need it. To Crystal, you know? And I was like, What's that mean? You know? And and even Crystal was like, What's her problem? And I'm going to say it again, though. Marriage isn't easy, but it is awesome. Okay? It's God's design, it's His creation. He has a purpose, both practically and spiritually. I want you guys to hear that. Practically, there's a there's a purpose, there's 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 repopulation, there's there's leading and 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 governing. God has that relationship. Practically, it grows us up when you live for the well-being of somebody else, not your own selfish interest. But also spiritually, God does something through a man and a woman. And I want to say that at the front end of the sermon here. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says that marriage is actually a mystery. Because it represents God's relationship with the church. He says, it's, it's just this mystery. There's more at stake with marriage than you understand. It's not just repopulation, and it's not just habitation. It's not just you know, being a relationship. God says, no, it's actually, it's big time. It's big time. So I want to take a look, some time today to talk about marriage. And I want you who are married to lean into the things of marriage and you who are gonna be married or know anybody who's married to additionally lean in to these things. Here's some reality. There are seminars, podcasts, videos, thousands and thousands of books on marriage. There are counseling firms and getaways and cruises, all dedicated to marriage all dedicated to helping people. I've read some of the books. I'm gonna give you guys who are serious about your marriage the top five books in my experience for uh, marriage. The first one is The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. It's a great book and insightful. Love and Respect by Emerson Egrich. The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. You can write all these down later. Uh, Real Marriage by Mark Driscoll. And my favorite for nothing else in the topic, or should I say the title, is Paul Tripp's book on marriage which is titled What Did You Expect? That's so funny. You've been married for longer than 10 minutes. Man, what did you expect this was going to be? Because God takes a married couple and he begins to then change them through the crucible of marriage, through that commitment. Now, I'm going to spend just a little bit of time, and I I don't want to spend too much time, but I went on the Internet last night. I pulled a few statistics about marriage and specifically divorce. Because our country and our world is out of control. Our world and our country do not use this as their playbook, but instead we use all kinds of psychological nonsense to decide whether things are right or wrong. Check this out. I'm just going to read this quickly, okay? Almost 50% of all marriages in the United States will end in divorce or separation. They say that 41% of first-time marriages end in divorce, 60% of second marriages end in divorce, 73% of all third marriages end in divorce. The United States has the sixth highest divorce rate in the world. Russia has the highest divorce rate at all, along with, by the way, I learned this yesterday, the highest abortion rate, that's over in Russia. This is crazy. I don't even know if this, I'm just going to read it. I didn't fact check this. Every 13 seconds, there's one divorce in America. That equates to 277 divorces per hour, 6,646 per day, 46,000 per week, 2 million divorces per year. That's what it says. That means there are nine divorces in the time it takes for a couple to recite their wedding vows. Two minutes. One couple gets married, nine couples get divorced. There are 554 divorces that occur during a romantic comedy, two hours long. 1,300 divorces happen during the average wedding reception, five hours. It goes on with some of those stats. The divorce rate among people 50 and older has doubled in the past 20 years, according to research by Bowling Green State University. January is considered divorce month. That's why I'm preaching this on January 31st. People start looking for information before the new year starts, but they can't do much until the attorneys get back in the office. January 12th through the 16th is the magic week for divorces, experts say. Lack of commitment is the most common reason given by divorcing couples, according to recent national survey. Here are the stats for people, what they say they got a divorce. Lack of commitment, 73%. When I read that, I was like, more like 100%. Like, you know, you just I'm not going to commit. I'm done. 73% say just I'm not committed. 56% say there's too much arguing. 55% blame unfaithfulness or infidelity. 46% say we just got married too young. And 45% say they had unrealistic expectations. And I put in there they should have read Paul Tripp's book. What did you expect? Lack of equality, 44%. Lack of preparation for marriage, 41%. And domestic abuse, 25%. 60% of couples married between the ages of 20 and 25 will end in divorce. Those who wait to marry until they're over 25 have a 24% less chance of getting divorced. 60% of cohabitating couples, they live together before they marry, Uh, will marry, 60% will. However, living together prior to marriage can increase the chance of getting a divorce by as much as 40%. If both you and your partner have had previous marriages, you are 90% more likely to get divorced. The risk of divorce was said to be almost doubled, 97% higher, when the mother went out to work, but the father made a minimal contribution to housework and childcare. I read that one last night, started laughing. Wife goes out to work, dad doesn't do anything for the kids of the house, 97% chance that that lady's out of here. Guys, do the dishes, okay, it's not that hard, like man, man up, vacuum something, you know, give a kid a bath, it's not hard. Sheesh, that's a big one right there, somebody needs to say amen. Uh, Facebook was cited as a major contributor, one third of divorce uh, petitions, Uh, that was a UK study. If your parents are happily married, your risk of divorce decreases by 14 percent. If your parents married others after divorcing, you're 91 percent more likely to get divorced. I just got a few more. According to Nicholas Wolfinger, in understanding the divorce cycle, the risk of divorce is 50 percent higher when one spouse comes from a divorced home, listen, and 200 percent higher when both partners do. As I was reading that, there's a whole sermon involved there about family matters and, and we all matter your legacy, your parental commitment matters for your children's longevity and well-being. A recent study of divorce petitions found that nearly 15% of them cited video game addiction as a major factor in the decision to get divorced. Not only was he not giving the kids a bath, man, the guy's playing video games. 43% of children in the United States are being raised without their fathers. I've read stats that say more than half of homes don't have a dad. Uh, if a close friend gets a divorce, you're 47% more likely to get divorced, 33% more likely if a friend of a friend is divorced. One researcher, I almost done uh, determined that a single divorce costs the state and federal government about $30,000 based on such things as higher use of food stamps, public housing, increased bankruptcies, and juvenile delinquency. On average, you get divorced, it costs the state $30,000. And the state, by the way, is you and me, taxpayers. As a matter of fact, the nation's 1.4 million divorces in 2002 are estimated to have cost the taxpayers more than $30 billion. As I was reading this and just kind of building my case, everyone knows America's like all messed up and in the world, whose fault is that? You know, and there's so many things and God, I'm going to get there in a minute, God, God tells us what to do. The most expensive divorce historically costs $5.3 billion dollars. Wouldn't have been a bad gig to be a lawyer in that one. The most expensive celebrity divorce was Mel Gibson's $425 million. It cost him through his divorce. Arnold Schwarzenegger's was 300 million. Michael Jordan's 168 million. I read to you a few stats. I left over a hundred or more stats on that website. I got these from, I just, I, it's, if you want the link, you can find it later. I'll email it to you. I didn't fact check these. I just read them. It was on a law firm that specializes in divorce. I'm going to say what I said earlier. Marriage is tough, but it is awesome. We have books. We have seminars. We have videos, podcasts, counselors for marriage. So the question you have to ask yourself as a believer is, what does the Bible say about marriage? And here's where I want to have you with me say, huh, really? Did you know that if you took every verse on marriage in the New Testament and read them back to back line upon line it would take you less than five minutes I'm going to say that again if you took every verse on marriage God says how to be married he says exactly what to do Jesus has teachings on marriage Paul has teachings Peter has teachings the teachings are in the Bible multiple chapters multiple books detail it less than five minutes so it's not a matter of not having enough knowledge of what we Need to know to do. The problem is not doing what we do know to do. I'm going to say that one more time. It's not that we don't know what to do, it's that we don't do what we know to. This is a core fundamental problem in every aspect of Christianity, of life in general. It's not that we don't know. I mean, are you a Christian here? Have you figured this out yet? It's not that you don't know what. I don't know what to do. Yeah, you do. I didn't know what to do. Hey, you just didn't do it. You didn't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm not gonna do it. Whether you're male or female or single or married, it's not that you didn't know, you just didn't. Maybe you didn't have the power in that moment. You were too weak, you were tricked, you were led astray, you were deceived. Whatever the case is, God has not though left us as those without instructions, he's given them to us. And the simple thing I wanna present to you this morning is one of the best life philosophies, whether you failed or whether you struggle or whether you're weak or not, that's that's irrelevant. The best thing you can do is say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, okay? doesn't matter what you think or what your professor at the community college has told you or what you're struggling with or your identity or that experience or this professor or that professional or this thing, this book is our instruction. Is it not gonna get an amen from somebody? This is it. And when you stand on God's word and let his authority then tell you what to do, like Peter who said, Lord, if it's you on the water... Tell me to come walk on it. Now, y'all know you can't walk on water. You can't do it. This is impossible. Unless Jesus says to do it. His commandments are his enablements. Where God guides, God provides. If it's God's will, he'll pay the bill. Come on, guys. Help me out here. So too in marriage. I, I, I read 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. And so if you're a note taker, write down a few key concepts. I'm going to try and get through all of verses 1 through 7. If I'm only able to get through verses 1 through 6, that's all the bulk to the wives, then we'll kind of just touch on the husband stuff later. If we get around to it next week, we might skip that whole deal, you know. (laughs) It's it's self-explanatory. The guys got it. They got it. It is interesting, though, that Peter gives six whole verses to the women and one verse to the men. You can talk about that in your life groups later and figure out what what that's about. They have done studies where women have, like, 60% more vocabulary necessity in their minds. They speak more. They listen more than the average male. Maybe that's it and all the rest. We're going to try and make sense of it all. Let me say the first thing. Write this down. A verse taken out of context isn't a text. It's just a con. Okay? Okay? You don't have to write that down, just memorize it, okay? A verse taken out of context isn't a text, it's just a con. You have to take verses in context. That's why I read to you 1 Peter 3, 1, I'm going to say it again, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. <laughs> but I didn't stop there, or, or, and I didn't do that either. I kept reading all the way to verse 7 where it says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. Because if you read verses out of context, it's not a text, it's just a con. It's just you trying to con someone to believe what you want them to see in that moment. You have to take the scriptures in context. Context is key, K-E-Y. Context is king, K-I-N-G, context. Whenever you're studying the scriptures, you must know the context, otherwise someone's gonna manipulate it, even yourself, in order to do something and say something that it doesn't say. Matter in fact, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, I'm going to read it to you. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as it's fitting to the Lord. Wives, submit. This is not Peter, but it's Paul. Okay? That's out of context. He keeps going. Paul also says, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. I want you to see this context. He also goes on to say, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Yeah, parent, yeah, you know. But he doesn't stop. He keeps going. Paul says, fathers... Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. He goes on to talk about employees, slaves. And then he goes on to talk about employers, slave owners. He talks about citizens. He talks about rulers. He talks about members of the church. He talks about leaders of the church. The Bible, in context, gives instructions to both men and women, to parents and kids, to employers and employees, to every organization where there is, listen, authority and order. You need to understand this. If you're going to sit in this Sanctuary today and swallow this and agree and say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, and then stand on areas where you're not quite comfortable yet. Oh, look at that. Peter walks on water. Look at that. Wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Okay. <laughs> you know. Somebody might think, You don't know my husband. And he gives instructions, by the way, in First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, to wives that don't have believing husbands. He says in serving them, by submitting to them and honoring God, without a word, some will be one. What he's implying there is that the men aren't listening. The men are rebellious. The men, without a word, the word, the men have rejected the word of God and they're walking their own way and so God says to wives in that situation, which is a complicated situation, one ought to be avoided if at all possible. Don't be missionary dating right now, okay? Don't be dating a non-believer. Don't be married an unbeliever, if you, you know, but if you're in that situation, you're already there, God says, I have you there, and here's your orders. Okay, I want you to do this, and I will work. I will use you. Amen. It might not be the way or in the time you want, and it might be very difficult. Even for the perfect marriage, even for a Christian marriage, books, seminars, podcasts, so much stuff. Why, what's going on? The Bible just has a little bit. Well, I think we just need to take it at face value and say, okay, Lord, help my unbelief. Context. Okay, verse out of context is just a con. Second point I want to point out to you is this. And by the way, we're in the deep end, just jumping right in. Welcome to 2021, preaching about marriage and submission and husbands and wives. Like, man, pray for your pastor today. This is fun stuff. Let me help you understand something very important. Peter addressing in this time, 2000 years ago, his letter to the church and giving the wives some instruction and education, unheard of. Women, wives, gals, ladies did not have education or instruction in his day. Nobody was teaching the women anything because women in that day were nothing more than property. A woman couldn't vote. A woman couldn't testify in the court of law. A woman couldn't own anything. She was owned. Can you imagine that environment 2,000 years ago, how oppressive, how manipulating, how domineering, how scary it would be, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up on the scene, and the first people he presents himself to are a bunch of women, and he says, go testify to the disciples that I'm alive. He gives them a testimony, even though in the culture that wasn't happening. Wherever Jesus is preached, received, and believed and accepted, Women are liberated, are elevated, cared for, developed, discipled, cultivated, and used. This is, imp- this is incredible. So when you read this today, you're like, this is oppressive. This is domineering. It's the exact opposite. In cultures where Christianity is not accepted, where the Bible is not received, where Jesus is not valued, women are still oppressed, domineered, and treated as property. Just for Peter to... Can you imagine the wives? Hey, what'd he say? And he gave a whole six verses to the wives. I, what? Women couldn't read. They couldn't go to yeshivas and schools. They couldn't, they couldn't learn. That wasn't their... Jesus changes everything. So I want you to feel that love that God extends to the women in the world that the world doesn't naturally extend. See, right now, we're in 2021, and for the last 7,000 years of human history, there has been sin, injustice, abuse, bullying, domineering, corruption, and sin. It has not ever changed. It's still happening to this day. And so when the Bible comes in, it's like God gives us instructions on how things ought to work in spite of and in light of sinful man's tendencies, capabilities, and actions. So he has specific instructions for the wives that aren't married to believers. He has specific instructions to wives that are married to believers. And he has specific instructions for husbands and their wives as well. So if you're taking notes so far, the two things we've learned is that a text out of context is just a con and also that what Peter is doing here is changing the value of women just by addressing them. Let's go ahead and take it now, verses one at a time and see what we can get out of this. You guys ready, still with me? Anybody mad yet? Okay, just email pastormarty at (laughs) (sighs) gmail.com. Just unload, man, just tell him what's going on. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Let's just stop right there. Because I believe there's a segue where he says, even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of your wives. I believe the first uh, prescription is to wives who have husbands that are believers. Then he segues and says, and if your husband's not a believer, it's the same for you because that's going to lead him to the Lord. God's going to use that. But to those who are married in this unified Jesus relationship, he says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. The first thing I want you to notice is likewise. He's going back to something else. He's been talking about government. He says, hey, submit to the government. And then he talked about masters in verse 18 of chapter 2. And he said, submit to your master. And then he talked about Christ submitting to the Father. And so when he says likewise, he's like, like Jesus submitted to the Father, wives, submit to your husbands. Like you're supposed to submit to your employer, you're supposed to submit to your husband. Like we're supposed to submit to the government, you're supposed to submit. He's, He's linking this whole thing. So lest you think that this is autonomous and someone's getting picked on and this is crazy, submission to authority is not unique to marriage okay i'm gonna say that again submission to authority is not unique to marriage submission to authority is in every organization that we know it's in business there's authority there's an organizational chart there is submission to authority it's in academics it's in military it's in sports athletics it's in clubs homeowners associations gyms freeways there's a fast lane there's a slow lane when you get to a four-way stop and everyone gets there at the same time who goes first the person on the right we all know that's like well i got a bigger car you know there's an order of authority the word submit literally means to line up under okay let me use a different illustration have you ever been somewhere where they say all right everyone line up alphabetical order line up what do you do you get in alphabetical order Who's at the very front of that alphabetical order? The alpha, the first person. The person that has the name according to that chart that is in front, the first person. It's not a matter of value or worth. Do you understand that? It's a matter of order. Authority literally just means who's in charge, who's the head, who's leading. I'll use another illustration. How many steering wheels do you guys have in your car? Anybody have more than one? Oh, y'all got one, one steering wheel. Nobody argues about it. You know, it's like, that's the, that's the driver's seat. That's the head. That's the one in charge. And this happens. It's not just unique to marriage. It is universal in every organization that God gives us. And I want you guys to really settle into this because this is a hot topic, Because of bullying, because of domineering, because of abuse, because of all these things that, by the way, if bullying, domineering, and abuse are in play, if that's a factor, all of this gets a asterisk right by it, and we got to go see somebody. If there is a husband or a leader or a boss or the person at the steering wheel, the person at the front of the line, the alpha, if there is domineering, bullying, or abuse, that person needs to be held accountable, okay? That person needs to be brought to justice, and that person needs somebody to talk to them, and that's what the church does, okay? Just so you guys know. Because when we bring this up in this subject, a lot of people say, well, my husband's abusive. My, my boyfriend's abusive. My boss is abusive. Different story. Different story. Okay, context. It's going to get to the husband. It's going to get to the leader. It's going to get to the person in charge, and there's going to be order given to that person as well, what it means to be in charge, what it means to be the head. I was talking to my wife about this last night. She said, you know what? She said, I don't say this very often, and I, and I, but the reality is, knowing that I'm the head of the house, that I'm in charge, the Bible says that God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of the husband, and the husband is the head of the wife. That's what the Bible says. And she said that knowing that you're the head, that's your responsibility. That's your burden. That's, that's, it's on you. And, and to a degree, then, she, she doesn't have to worry. Who's in charge? Who's gonna? That's, and it's a relief to her if I'm not playing video games. <laughs> Back to the, you know, in, in, general, in general, you know. You know what I mean? So this idea of submission is not a bad thing. There is no organization, creation, that doesn't have some sort of order. Wouldn't it be awesome if you just believed it that simply? Why though, why, is it because women can't lead? Where do you, where'd you see that at? You made that up. You put that in, that's not not what it says. Why is, 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 what is, what is the man gonna be first? Well, I don't know. Who was first in the garden? You know. You know. It's simple. It's actually not a matter of value or worth. It's just a matter of first. Let me use one more illustration. It'd be like if somebody created a board game and you bought it and brought it home and you read the instructions. And then immediately you threw the instructions away and said, I don't want to do it that way. We're just going to do it my way. And you can do it your way. And you do it your way. And you do it your way. We'll just, you know, we'll see how well that, that's not, nobody does that. As a matter of fact, you in a squabble or in an event at the family, you say, get the instructions. You can't do that. You can't double jump me. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't, you know, uno and people are throwing stuff. and, And the instructions there, oh man, somebody designed this and that alone is enough. As a matter of fact, what if you just decided to believe this and say, I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna do what God says by way of obedience because God said it, I believe it, that settles it. As under the Lord. Men, man up. You're the head, you're the covering. You're the one gonna be held accountable. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, Eve was deceived. She was picked off by the devil. She thought she was doing a good thing. She actually thought she was gonna upgrade humanity. She was going more spiritual than she was. That was her agenda. Adam knew better. He was not deceived. He was in complacent, passive, rebellion, and instead he's like, you know, that's not quite what God said, but I don't want to lose my relationship with you because you're naked, and I want to stay with you. (laughs) Why are you laughing? And so he ate the apple. And so when God came to the garden, he didn't address Eve. He wasn't in trouble. He said, Adam. The heck are you doing bro and it says in the book of galatians that, that adam was the one in rebellion eve didn't know she actually she actually thought she was doing a good thing the devil tricked her and said you'll be like god you'll never die you'll 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 know all things wow so this is a good thing adam's like yeah it's not a good thing you know it's a whole other study Another thing I want you guys to write down, the last thing I said, is that submission, and maybe I didn't say it this clearly, but I will, it literally means or simply means line up under. Okay, just get in order. I want you guys to know this, though, because we live in a culture that wants to infer more to what that means and say, oh, you're in charge, oh, so you are more valuable or worth more than I am. Okay, that's not what it says. It is something ingrained in our sinful nature. When bullying, when domineering, when abuse shows up, Okay, write this down. Authority over somebody okay. doesn't mean you have greater value or worth than that person. It simply means that you're in charge. I remember I was the manager at the Goodbean Coffee House, and I was pretty young. I was 22 years old, and I was the manager. So my job was to manage the coffee house. I was a working manager. I did the payroll. I did the scheduling. I did the ordering. I did the shopping. I did all of that. There were people twice my age on staff there. There were people married when I was single. There were college graduates when I was a college dropout. There were people who had never served time in jail where I had a record. There were all these people, and I wasn't better or more valuable than them. I was simply in charge, and for me to assume that I'm more valuable than them, so that's not what this is implying. Just because there's authority and order in an organization does not mean there is greater value. That's important to you guys understand that because you're going to get some pushback in your own mind or in the world that we live in. The thing I want to point out, and we're still in verse 1, this is not going well. This is not going well. I don't know if we're going to get to the husbands, man, I don't know. It's just, this is, oh, man. I have 12 pages of notes. I'm not kidding. It's not a good day for anybody. So uh, it says in verse 1, wives, likewise be submissive, and it says to your own husbands. Let me also point something out here. It does not say, and this is not regarding, all women everywhere submit to all men everywhere. Can somebody say amen? Like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It's not saying all women everywhere are in subjection to all men everywhere. It says wives to husbands. This is specific to marriage. Okay. Wouldn't it be horrible if God said all women everywhere submit to all men everywhere? Okay. That is not what the Bible teaches. It does give order in a marriage. But the Bible declares that God created man and woman in his image. We are equals. We are co-heirs of the grace of life. We are the same. And yet when a couple comes together and gets married, there is an order. There is a submission. There is a lineup in order that we would get the car moving forward. And if we get to a four-way stop, we know who goes first. Okay? There's instructions. But it does not mean that all women... Submit to all men. That is not what the Bible teaches. Number four, the last thing I'm going to say because it's written down in this order is the first thing I said, that this is a mystery and it speaks of the church. This order, your relationship at home, husband, wife. It's not so much about what you think it is, but God designed it in a way to explain God's commitment to the bride. To his church, Ephesians chapter 5 details that. We don't have time to get into that. Let me just read through and see if we can get some more uh, practical thoughts out of verse 1. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste, conduct uh, accompanied by fear. Stop right there, eyes up here. Again, this is a, a complicated situation. We don't know how this happens every time. Maybe it's a husband and wife are dating. They get married and one of them, and I'm gonna use kind of a gender neutral role here, one of them gets saved and one doesn't get saved. Have you seen this happen before? They're not saved, one person gets saved and all of a sudden there's conflict. And Paul, or Peter specifically addresses the wives and says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to serve your spouse with chaste conduct and meekness. And without a word, God's going to win that person to the Lord. Okay, this doesn't mean you don't pray for your husband or for your wife or you don't, you know, teach them or share with them or invite them to church. But what God is saying in a very difficult situation here, love that spouse and God then will save that spouse with or without your help. If you do your part, he'll do his part. Again, I would advise, don't test the Lord in this. Sweet, I'm going to go get myself a non-believing wife. You know, don't do that. I'm going to go get a husband. You know, don't do that. If if you're in that situation, I want to encourage you. God gives you instruction. I know multiple wives, multiple husbands that have a what the Bible calls unequally yoked relationship. God gives instruction here. Let's keep going. It says in verse 3 and 4, Do not let your adornment, this is to the wives who are married in that day, be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing of gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather... Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Stop right there, eyes up here. Peter now addresses in that culture what is going on in our culture as well, which there was a temptation for the ladies to adorn themselves outwardly as their primary purpose, focus, and influence in life. As a matter of fact, look with me. This is interesting. Verse three, do not let your adornment be merely outward. That word adornment means cosmos. It's where we get our word cosmos, where we get our, don't let your world be Don't let your adornment, don't be your number one thing, be outward, and then he goes on to be a positive spin, rather, let it be inward. Let me just kind of make this gender neutral. What Peter's saying is don't get caught up in the ways of this world to have influence on the world because the ways of this world are limited and corrupt. Let me explain. In the world, you can have influence based on what you wear, what you drive, where you live, how you look, how your biceps are, your six-pack, your height, your big, your, your account, all of those things, right? Well, that, that, that's true. Peter says, no, don't do that because it's limited. Not everybody can have the same house. Not everybody can be in the same car. Not everybody has the same looks. Not everybody has that same influence. And so what he says is rather, I want you to focus on that which is unlimited. Every single person. Let it be the inner person of the heart. You wanna have influence at work? You wanna have influence at home? You wanna be a bigger person, whether you're male or female, husband or wife? Let it be the inner person, not the outward person. Secondly, not because it's just unlimited, but because the things of the inner person are incorruptible. Everything around us is gonna fall apart, okay? You're not gonna bring your car, you're not gonna bring your house, you're not gonna bring your hair, you're not gonna bring your biceps, you're not gonna bring your six pack, you're not bring any of that stuff to heaven. What you are bringing to heaven, male or female, husband or wife, is the inner person, There's such a proclivity, such a temptation to be all caught up in comparing and keeping up with the Joneses. There's nothing wrong innately about having stuff. We all have stuff. We all have apparel. We all have stuff, you know, all that. He's not saying you can't do that, but he's saying, hey, be careful. That's not what it's all about. In Peter's day, it was the same as our day, where there is a imbalanced approach to the external and a neglect to what we would call the internal hidden person of the heart. By the way, it says right here, which is very precious in the sight of God. Can I just stop? Can I just say that's so cool? He's specifically talking to wives, But I just want to grab a little bit of that for myself too. The Lord says he sees your inside more than your outside. And he says that's actually what fires him up. What if you spent more time on the inside in your character than you did on the outside in your appearance? Something to think about. He goes on. He says, for in this manner, verse 5, he gives an illustration now, throwback. In former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Stop right, there, eyes up here. Peter now addresses this illustration. He says, guys, what I want you to do is I want you to trust the Lord as you follow your husband, talking specifically to wives. He says, like Sarah did. Sarah and Abraham, you guys know Sarah and Abraham, right? Sarah and Abraham, the father and the mother of faith. And let me just say this before I say anything else. Sarah and Abraham weren't perfect. Neither one of them were. They both had some pretty lousy days, did they not? Remember that one time Sarah was listening, kind of, you know, with the cup on the tent. She's listening to to her husband talk with the boss, you know, and eavesdropping. And I don't know, she just had this listening ear and she hears God prophesy that she's going to have a baby. Remember that time? She's like... (laughs) She starts laughing. She's like, woo, cuckoo, you know. And then later on, it comes up and God calls her and says, hey, you laughed when I said that. And she says, no, I didn't. And God says, yes, you did. Can you imagine that? Laughing at God's promises and then getting called on it and denying that you laughed? I mean, Sarah, like, you know, Sarah. Sarah didn't have perfect days. Remember that one time Sarah was with Abraham and they were waiting for the kid and there was no kid and it wasn't happening and they were getting old. So Sarah has this crazy idea. Sarah's like, hey, Abraham, why don't you sleep with this other chick? And poor Abe's like, okay, you know, like, (laughs) give me a break. You want to, you know, and Abe's like, you know, what could go wrong? And so Abe sleeps with Hagar. Ishmael's born. Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations to this day, which was a thorn in the flesh of Isaac and Jacob and the Jews over the whole thing, man. And that was Sarah's big idea. Abraham's no peach either, man. Abraham's leading his wife and he gets to see the, the king of Egypt and he's there and he knows the king got hots for his wife. And so he's like, this actually isn't my wife. Quiet, quiet. It's okay. This is my sister. You can totally have her. You know, and Sarah's like, what? You know, what the heck? Abe, you're the father of faith. And so he gives his sister, it's not a sister, it's his wife to, to the, the king. And the king has a dream and God says, don't touch her. And he comes back and he's like, why'd you give me your wife, bro? Are you trying to get me killed with God? You know, it's so, oh my bad. I say that to say this. Can I just kind of end with this? We're actually not going to get to verse 7. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> We're going to do another week of prayer and fasting and come back and teach. I'm so excited about verse 7, though. I really am. It is so cool. It's so cool. Husbands, likewise. It says likewise again. Okay? Dwell with your wife. That means be on purpose intentional with understanding we're going to unpack all these truths next week but I want to just I want to focus on the Sarah Abraham thought Peter says just like Sarah and Abraham really just like Sarah and Abraham I don't think they were perfect okay raise your hand if you're you're perfect right now raise your hand if your marriage is perfect raise your hand if everything's going well raise your hand if you've never made any mistakes raise your hand if you're not like Sarah and not like Abraham like you died I don't do anything you know here's the good news here's the great news Just like Sarah and Abraham submitted to a higher authority, God God had a plan. God had a plan for them. And even through their mistakes, even through their failures, even through their sins, even through their own weakness, God accomplished his will. And can I just encourage you, whether you're male or female, husband or wife, single or married, in Jesus' name, God God has a way to take who you are and what you do and to make it his will and to make it work together for good. The bottom line, the big idea, the whole thing, this entire teaching, is that God knows what's right. The world around us it majors on that which is wrong. God majors on that which is right. God is the creator, and He gives us instruction. The world around us, man, it's a cheap ripoff. And I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're you're sitting here going, "Man, this is I can't believe I came to church today." Maybe you've gone through a painful divorce. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of abuse and neglect and domineering and bullying and you're wounded deeply. Maybe you're the one who gave out the pain in your marriage. You're the one who left. You're the one who quit. Maybe you're young here and you're thinking dang, I might become a priest you know. (laughs) guys, context is king. Likewise. Like Jesus. Remember last week we talked about the government and how Peter tells us to submit to every ordinance under man, to submit to the King Supreme and pray. It, we, we learned four things last week. We're to pray. Okay, that's our. That's how we move forward. Pray. Pray for your king. Pray for your president. Pray for your government. Pray for your boss. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your kids. Pray. Are you praying? Because if you're not praying, you can't, you don't, your, opinion, your opinion's invalid. It really is. Have you prayed about it? No. Okay, let's go. Go do that first. Have you prayed for your husband and your wife? No. Are you really praying? No. Are you praying? To, no. Okay, well, the, pray. And then we saw last week that not only are we to pray, we're to do good. Don't just pray and do nothing. Do, do good. We're not just to pray and do good. We're to not do bad. And then the last thing we saw last week in verse 21 of chapter 2, we're to commit it to Jesus, to the Father, who is the righteous judge. We live in a world full of sin because you're here. Injustice and balance and corruption because we're here. And God's given to us the instructions. This is how it works. This is what we do. God loves you. He cares for you. He has order and purpose. Sarah and Abraham's life didn't make sense. The only thing that made sense in Sarah and Abraham's life was their sin and mistakes. That makes sense. It's like (laughs) the miracles God did through them, there is no explanation. Sarah had a baby when she was well into her hundreds. Abraham was used to father the entire household of faith. See, God wants to do supernatural things and extraordinary things through ordinary people. Whether you're male, female, married, single, husband, wife, divorced, remarried, adopted, whatever the case is in your life, God is for you, not against you. I just wanna encourage you guys, February 1st tomorrow, We're reading the 5x5 program right now. We're in Acts chapter 7. I don't know if you guys read it. My son Nemo in the back, he read it. He said, Dad, it's 68 verses. It's long. And in chapter 7, Stephen does exactly what I said. He prays. He does good. He doesn't do evil. And he commits himself to the Lord. He resists the government. He says, guys, I don't think you're doing it right. He's prayed. He says, oh, I've got some Bible verses, 60 of them, 68 of them, and he preaches. And then with humility, he gives up his life and he accepts the ultimate responsibility. How are we gonna win this world to the Lord? The same way a wife would influence and impact and win her non-believing husband to the world. Not with the outward adornment, not with all your stuff, not with all your things, the, your stuff and things? Fine. It's the inner person. The inner person. God wants to use you. This is why you're here at church at 9 a.m. service or we're streaming online. God wants to form into you the inner person. I'm so thankful for the last week of prayer and fasting. God stirred me up. Man, He got me, He, he stripped away some stuff. I lost 10 pounds, man. This shirt's baggy now. And I, and I think I moved the ball down the field a little bit in my spirit and my body, and I think the Lord says, hey, don't give up ground, bro. Don't go back. Don't go back. Move forward. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word, which goes against our grain, against this culture, because our grain and this culture is just like Sarah. It's just like Abraham. Lord, we're prone to mistakes. And so you, being so good, have given to us your order, your instructions, your prescriptions, your context, your proof text. You've given it to us. And I repent, Lord, of my opinions and my stubbornness, not receiving your word or interjecting my own thought. And I also, Lord, plead on behalf of me and this church, your wisdom. Would you teach us Lord, the world is in our ear. The ways of man, Lord, are crushing down. And I pray that your word would speak a better truth. That you would help us, Lord, to trust you like Stephen, like Sarah, like Abraham. We love you, God. Bless the wives. Bless the husbands. Lord, prepare the husbands next week. Do not let any husbands skip church next week. Playing video games somewhere. We just love you. Thank you for all you've done, Lord. We do pray for a revival in the church of God. Not just America, Lord, but the church. Everywhere, the church. Would the church be revived? For, Lord, we believe that the trumpet sound is near. We believe, Lord, that your return is nigh. The day of salvation is closer today than ever before. Forgive us our, our debts, Lord, and help us to be forgivers of those who sinned against us. We love you, Lord, and we now leave in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Amen.